Um, so, here are some happy ladies. And the title of the message is, Do Not Be Anxious About Your Life. And that comes from Luke chapter 12. We've been studying Luke's gospel, working our way chapter by chapter. And just a reminder, because we kind of had Christmas um, splitting Luke 12, um, but Jesus, basically Luke chapter 12 is Jesus telling disciples how to be disciples. Now, a lot of people think, well, what is discipleship? Discipleship involves keeping a bunch of rules. And when you look at his list of things, it's not really rules, it's more attitudes. So, for example, beware of hypocrisy. That's the first thing he deals with in Luke chapter 12. And um, not just beware of it, but realize, he says, one day everything will be shouted from the housetops. In other words, it's all going to be revealed anyways. So don't think you can get away with hiding things. So beware of hypocrisy. Then he says, fear not man. And here's his argumentation. All man can do is kill your body. But fear God because he has the power to send your body and your soul to hell. That's an argument from the lesser to the greater. Don't fear the lesser fear, man. The greater fear, fear God. Then there's, be unashamed of me. Because there's a reciprocal thing going on there. If you're ashamed of me on this earth, I will be ashamed of you on judgment day. But if you're unashamed of me, I will be unashamed of you on judgment day. Then, and I think this was Caleb's last message before he took off to the ends of the world. Um, They're out in California, by the way. Don't trust in money. Don't put your ultimate hope in money. And Jesus tells the parable of the rich fool who says, I've got it all made. I'm going to build bigger barns. I've got my 401k all lined up. And God says, you fool. Tonight, your life is required of you. Now, this inevitably will lead to the question, well, if I'm not supposed to trust money, how am I going to be provided for? Shouldn't I uh, at least worry about money enough that, that I'm provided for? And today we come to don't be anxious. Because he knows that raising the issue of money makes us anxious. And he's going to go on to give us six reasons to not be anxious. Now, um, typically I'll have the points on the right side of your bulletin. What do you notice today about your bulletin? If you got the right one, okay. What's different today? Pictures, right? Hopefully you all got pictures. And um, why pictures? Because I think visuals help us remember better. Okay? Um, in fact, I have them in kind of six windows, which reminds me of a sermon I heard. When, when we were uh, younger, we were ready to have our first baby, and um, we went to a parenting class. 
And it was all right. It was, you know, a bunch of legalistic stuff about if you do it this way, you'll raise the perfect child. Um, how'd that work, Josh? Great. Pretty good, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. After, after a couple of failures, then we got Josh. <laughs> they're listening, don't worry. No. <laughs> If they were here, we would say that they're the perfect children. But uh, in this class, I do remember one of the messages that the guy gave. And um, he said, um, go get yourself a shadow box, Hobby Lobby, under 10 bucks, okay? Um, and make a little memorial of times God uh, intervened and showed himself in your family. And he had little stories. It was like four or five different stories. And in his house, he hangs this on the wall. Um, it's a memorial to unforgettable events where God intervened. So, uh, of course, we would have a pickup truck in one of these boxes, right? Where the time Josh got hit by a pickup truck and uh, lived to tell about it, right? That's pretty good. Yeah. That would be number one, right? <laughs> you know what else we'd have? We'd have a little, uh, little house in there. Because um, when we were going to move from Wisconsin here, uh, I was going to say here to America, here to uh, <laughs> Illinois, um, we, had our, our, we didn't even have to, to hire a realtor because our next door neighbor said, hey, if you ever want to move, we want to buy your house. And... Um, so we didn't, we didn't, we went to the office depot and bought a, a legal contract for 95 cents. And it was all ready to go when one day he came over and said, I lost my job. I can't get a loan. I can't buy your house. And I, I mean, we were ready to move. And our whole world came crashing down. And then that night we had a babysitter come over from the church. And they said, a couple, they said, what's wrong? Because you could tell we were upset. We said, well, we lost our buyer. We don't have a realtor. And they said, oh, that's okay. We'll buy your house. Lost a buyer and got a buyer in six hours. I think God showed up there. Right? Um, I put a piece of bread in there because, um, I don't know if you know this, Elizabeth almost died. No, not eating a loaf of bread. Well, well, actually, eating, eating bread because um, her blood count was so low that she should have been dead, and they couldn't figure out what the problem was. And uh, finally, one doctor said, let's test you for celiac. And we found out she's severely allergic uh, to gluten, and um, her life was saved. So, so um, that's kind of the idea of the shadow box memorial. What, what would you put in those boxes uh, to say, hey, don't forget about God's faithfulness in the past. Right? Now, I'm going to use the shadow box concept with these six pictures to help us remember why you don't need to worry. When Jesus says, don't be anxious about your life, he gives us six reasons. All right? So here we go. Reason number one is, uh, let's call it the argument from life itself. And here's what he says. 
He said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat, nor about your body, what you will put on. Okay, so um, any of you worried about money today? Yeah, you don't have to raise your hand. Okay. In fact, if you're not worried about money, raise your hand. No. Um, most of us worry about money. And Jesus says, don't, don't worry about what you're going to eat or about your clothes. Why? Why shouldn't we worry? Here's the reason. For life is more than food, and the body is more than clothing. Now, that's kind of hard to understand, but I believe what he's doing is he's giving you an argument from the greater to the lesser. Okay? What are food and clothes? Well, those are things you must have to sustain your life and your body. Right? Here's the, here's the, the big question, though. Where did your life, where did your life and your body come from? In the first place, did you have anything to do with your life coming into existence? Nope. You say, well, that was my parents. Well, it was ultimately God who gave you life and a body. Now, if he can do the greater thing, which is the miracle of giving you life, don't you think he can do the lesser thing? Give you what you need to sustain it. When you're stressed out about money, slow down and say, hmm, how did I get here in the first place? God gave me life. God gave me this body. He can provide. Okay? Um, Psalm 139.16. I read this once before a guy went in for open heart surgery. And I, I, I don't know that many pastors would read this verse, but I'm gonna, I, I read it for him. And it says, Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them. Every one of what? The days that were formed for me when as yet there was none of them. None of the days have taken place yet. David's writing this. He says, as I was in the womb, you wrote in your book every day of my life. I read that to this man, and then after the surgery, I said, were you anxious? He says, you read that, and everything fell into place. I realize that I have X amount of days and if it's my time to go, it's my time to go. And if it's not my time to go, then I'm going to get through this. Right? You're invincible until your pre-written day of death. And God will give you what you need to get there. Right? So that's, that's the first thing. Just take a step back and think about the big picture God, the giver of life, God, the giver of your body, can give you, will give you what you need until your predetermined day of death. Okay? That's 
point number one. Number two, go look at the birds. Consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouses nor barn. And yet God feeds them. And then, so the first one was an argument from the greater to the lesser. This is an argument from the lesser to the greater. Of how much more value are you than the birds? I tell everybody, go get a birdhouse if you struggle with anxiety. Put it out in your backyard. And every day, watch the birds and be reminded that if God feeds them, who's more valuable in God's eyes? The bird or me? Okay, he'll take care of me. I love this little poem. Said the robin to the sparrow, I, should re I would really like to know why these anxious human beings rush about and worry so. Said the sparrow to the robin friend, I think that it must be that they have no heavenly father such as cares for you and me. They're not worried. They're out there whistling away. Jesus says, go look at the birds. Learn from them. And if God can take care of them, he can take care of you. Now, um, I think birds are a good example to keep balanced in our perspective because while it says uh, God feeds the birds, they don't just sit in their nest with their mouth open waiting for them to drop worms in their mouth. Right? They're actually out there busily gathering food. In fact, um, here is a tape measure, and let's see here. There, how about, uh, Robert, can you hold that? Don't cut yourself. All right, let's see here. We have 14 feet. What's that? That's... The, if, you, if you took all the worms that a bird eats in one day and lined them up edge to edge, they would eat 14 feet of worms. Okay? And that's, uh, that's over a mile a year. Okay? Go ahead and drop. So, here's the point. Birds don't worry, but they do work. Right? But they whistle while they work. So work, look for a job, and relax. Okay? So the second argument is the argument from the birds. Third argument, the argument from futility. What's futility? Um, uselessness. Here, here's his argument. And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? So here we're back to the predetermined number of days. Can you increase your lifespan by worrying a lot? No. If then you are not able to do as small a thing as that, why are you anxious about 
the rest. Basically, his argument is worry doesn't accomplish much. If you would sit around thinking about how useless worrying is, that would be a better use of your time than actually worrying. Right? Um, I, I equate this argument to the futility of uh, OCD, obsessive-compulsive disorder. Um, obsessive-compulsive disorder is when our brains try to connect our security, our well-being, with performing certain behaviors or rituals that really accomplish nothing. So if we just spend our time doing a certain thing, we think it's actually going to produce a, a, a better life. When in reality, there's no connection. You know who was a, uh, uh, who suffered from OCD? Uh, Tesla, right? The, uh, the electricity guy. He was a germaphobic. He refused uh, to shake hands with anybody. Okay. He was obsessed with the number three. So before entering a building, he would walk around the block three times before entering the building. He had some strange eating habits. Um, he would count the number of times he would chew before he would swallow. Probably his mother told him, chew your food before you swallow. Chew it 20 times. So... You know, there he is in his, his adult life. One, two, and then he would swallow. And he would require 18 napkins be at his place setting for every meal. It made his life go better, he thought. You go, really? Maybe I'll try that. No, don't try. Don't waste money on napkins. It didn't work. But in his mind, he connected 18 napkins, the number three, chewing his food. If you get the, all these things, the, these rituals, these routines down, it'll make our life go better. And Jesus is saying that kind of worrying is futile. A uh, guy named Dr. William Hammond had a patient who would wash her hands 200 times a day. Probably another germaphobic. Right? Um, hoarding. Usually when we talk about hoarding, people go, oh, my parents are into hoarding. Right? Well, there's a guy named Richard Wallace, lives over in England. Um, he had so much stuff that it spilled out into his backyard and his hoarding stuff can be seen on Google Earth. Um, he had 34 years of daily newspapers because I can't, I can't toss them out. I might need them. 34 years of newspapers cars rusting in his garden. His house was so full that there was only space for one chair 
That's where he ate. That's where he slept because he needed his stuff. Um, so I read an article on him. His neighbor, neighbors have since helped him remove 30 tons of junk from his garden. And then it says this. He's now seeking help from a psychologist, which that's good news. All right. Now, you go, that is so ridiculous. Well, why do people have these obsessions with these routines and these rituals? Let me ask you this. How many times do you think the average American checks their cell phone a day? 80. 80 times a day. The average person struggles to go more than 10 minutes without checking their cell phone. Of 2,000 people surveyed, one in 10, so 10%, check their phones on an average once every four minutes. So you know the, the woman who washed her hands 200 times? You go, that's, that's crazy. We might have people in this room who check their cell phones every four minutes. And by the way, Generation Z, the most anxious, depressed generation ever. And they're the most addicted to this obsessive-compulsive checking of the cell phone. And I don't think that that's just a symptom of anxiety. It is a cause of anxiety. What, what, what am I going to miss? What am I going to miss? What are they saying about me out there? Oh, what, about, what about my post? Am I getting likes? You know, so, so there's this, um, in, in ages past, it could have been washing hands, could have been hoarding. Today, it's the, so you can gauge your anxiety level. How many times do you check? Your, how many, anybody check it since the sermon began? Raise your hand if you, no. <laughs> One honest person in the room, right? Um, but here's what Jesus is saying. What does this worrying actually accomplish? Nothing. Okay? Let's move on. Argument from flowers. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spit. Wait a minute, got to check here. You ever been having a conversation with somebody and they just and they've lost the train of thought? Okay, back to this. Um, consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, now Solomon was the richest king who ever lived. Right? Not even Solomon in all his glory was... Even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. So apparently, he was quite the snappy dresser. Right? But compare Solomon to a lily. But if God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? So, his point is that it's, it's kind of like the bird analogy. God feeds the birds 
Who's more valuable than the birds? You. He says, look at the lilies of the field. Thousands of them, many that that nobody will ever see. And they only last a season and then they die. But look at the detail that God puts into a lily. Anybody know the name of that? The bleeding heart. Isn't that amazing? The beauty that God puts into this flower that will last a couple months? Cherry blossom? People travel from all over the world to go to to D.C. during the cherry blossom time. It's a uh, Mongolian fire dragon. Now, I made that up. I don't know what that is. Does anybody know what that is? The bird of paradise. All right, beautiful. All right. Um, how about a butterfly? He, this lion, he's, he's amazed, right, at the butterfly, a monarch butterfly. This thing just floats in the air, beautiful wings. Then it dies. Okay. There's stuff underwater that we haven't even explored, we haven't even found yet, but... Um, as they go deep down, you don't need color, <laughs> so why even waste time on color here? But there are these, these uh, fish, have you ever seen with the little lantern? That It's so dark, but they have a lantern in front of their, their face. Right? Um, and some of these things we will never see. There are flowers growing in forests. There are, are animals underwater or in places that we will never see. And look at the detail that God puts into them. And, and what's the argument? If God cares so much about a flower that's here today, gone tomorrow, don't you think he cares about you? Right? Number five. This is the argument from the kingdom that you're going to inherit if you're a believer in Jesus. Okay. And do not seek what you are to eat and what you are to drink, nor be worried. Okay. And, and seek there, I don't think that means you're not to plan, you're not to go to the store, you're not to think about it. I, I, I think it means you're not to be obsessed with this. Okay. For, because... All the nations, and the, the Holman translates it, idolaters. So he's, he's contrasting the pagan world that doesn't have a heavenly father with believers who do have a heavenly father. For all the nations of the world seek after these things, and your father knows that you need them. Instead, what should you seek? What should you obsess over? His kingdom. And these things will be added to you. Obsess over the kingdom, and he'll throw in these things. Okay? Now, look at verse 32. Fear not, little flock, little valley brook. Don't fear. Why? For it's your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Um, who's this? You know? Yeah, it's little Georgie. 
right, Prince George, and he's rolling down a hill. He's just a kid. He will one day be the king of England. Now, have you ever wondered, how did the king and the queen of England, um, how, how is their wealth sustained? And you would think it would be through taxation. But, here's how their kingdom is sustained. Uh, there's this thing called the Duchy of Lancaster. The Duchy of Lancaster is the private holdings of the British monarchy. And its principal purpose is to provide independent income for whoever is the king or the queen. The estate consists of a portfolio of lands, properties, and assets held in trust for the king or the queen. The duchy consists of 45,000 acres of land holdings, rural estates, farmland, urban developments, historic buildings, and some commercial properties worth $18 billion. And because some of the properties are commercial, it brings in income. So if you inherited the John Hancock building, you go, well, that's a lot to ma maintain. Yeah, but people rent that out, and it brings in income. So one day, little Georgie will own commercial buildings and mansions and castles and castles. Now, what if, what if little Georgie one day said to his mom, I'm worried that I won't have enough for lunch. Shut up, George. <laughs> You're well taken care of, and one day you will inherit all of this. Do you know that you will inherit that too? There is a time to think about riches, not the riches of this world but the riches that God's going to give you. He says we will inherit the earth. We will reign and rule on this earth. And it'll be ours. So what are you so worried about? Okay. Last thing. Don't worry because you have a heavenly bank account. And every time you give, it's going to that heavenly bank account. In fact, you can be so non-worried about money that you don't have to hoard it all. You can give it away freely and it's not going anywhere except into your heavenly bank account. Sell your possessions and give to the needy. Provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Um, here's the problem with keeping money here, okay? Um, thieves can take it. There's identity thieves out there. Uh, moths destroy. You can make a bad investment. So, so when, when I first got married, 
Um, we pooled all our assets and all our gifts and everything, and there was $10,000 that we said, let's put that into an investment. And uh, so that was 30 years ago. And I never look at it. I mean, I know it's there. Some of you are like, you should look at it because I could get you a higher yield. I, 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 don't, I don't look at it. It's just there. Um, but I thought, because of this sermon, I thought I'd look at it. And on Christmas Eve... Um, I made $228 on one day just sitting in my chair because of this investment, $228. And then as I was finishing up this uh, sermon on Friday, I wanted to see how much more I made. I lost $135. (laughs) Now, I'm still uh, ahead a little bit, okay, but easy come, easy go. Right? If, if your hope is in your investments, um, it can, I, I mean, remember when we hit that recession, depression? Was it 2008? I mean, I know people who had to come out of retirement and go back into the workforce because they lost it all. Okay? Um, but Jesus says, here's an investment that you can be sure of. When you give it away to advance the kingdom, give it to the poor, give it to ministry, give it to the Salvation Army, when you give it away, you're not really losing it. It's locked in heaven, and I think there's a lot of interest involved in that whole thing too. Okay, So to illustrate, does anybody have a $100 bill on them? Do you? Oh, wait, Robert, do you? <laughs> well, well, yeah, I thought we passed the basket. What, what's it doing in your wallet? No. <laughs> I got 50s. Okay, uh, two 50s would be good. In fact, come on, come on up here for a second, if you will. <laughs> and yeah, stand right there. And I'm going to give your mom, this is, uh, don't ever buy a security wallet on eBay. A rubber band is not security, okay? But <laughs> could you hold on to that for a second? Okay. And so you got two fifties? All right. So could you, f- uh, oh, let's do this. Put a little mark on, on them. Okay. It's defacing government property. But, um, and fold them in half. And fold it in half again. No, uh, yeah, length. Well, that'll work. That'll work. Okay. And I'm going to put this in this little money envelope, like so. See it? You want to say goodbye to it? Okay. And you. And could you sign Robert right there? And did anything in here, anything? Okay. And um, here, what we're going to do, inside of this, I have another wallet. Man, that's hot. It is. Oh, it's because it's by this thing over here. Okay. (laughs) All right, so I'm going to put this, whoops, put this here. Where's the pen? 
I'm going to put um, heaven right there. Hold on to that. Now, you ever feel, Robert, when you give your money, you do give some every now and then, don't you? You ever feel like it's just like a waste? Like you're throwing it away? You ever feel that way? Yeah. <laughs> Let's see something here. But, but you really, you aren't giving it away. You aren't wasting it because it goes into your your heavenly bank account. Is that your money? Yeah. yeah. Brave man, give give him a big hand. <laughs> <laughs> he probably has to afterwards. All right, so bottom line, don't worry. Why? If God gave you life, he can sustain it. If he takes care of the birds, don't you think he'll take care of you? It's futile to worry anyways. And if he makes beautiful flowers, which are here today, gone tomorrow, won't he take care of you? And you're going to inherit a kingdom. Don't be fretting over the small stuff. And whatever you give away goes into your heavenly bank account. All right, let's pray. Lord, there's probably a lot of anxiety in this room. And uh, Lord, thank you for your promises. Thank you for these, um, these pictures that you, you paint for us. And I pray, Lord, that as we dwell upon your words, uh, the fact that you are our Father, your promises, I uh, pray that you would relieve us of our anxiety. Lord, there are those who are struggling. I pray that you would provide as we seek first your kingdom. And may you receive all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen.